has been educating and inspiring individuals, entrepreneurs, and leaders for decades. He's helped millions of people to move past the mental barriers that were holding them back from stepping to their power to become a better version of themselves and live a kick-ass life. I know this firsthand as I'm Jenny, Dan's wife. And here's your host, Dan Locke. Chris Guerriero is an entrepreneur, business advisor, speaker, and best-selling author. Business owners around the world have come to rely upon Chris when they require an edge to break through growth obstacles. Hey, Chris! So excited to have you on the Dan Lok Show. I always want to learn more about the entrepreneur before we talk about all the businesses that you started. Share with us a little bit of your entrepreneurial story. How did you get into business in the first place? Yeah, you know, I I think I have to attribute the great majority of my entrepreneurialism to my father, and、uh, which is weird, I guess, as you hear this story, you're you're not gonna. Think there's a correlation because he was never an entrepreneur,、hmm. but、um, you know my father was a, a VP of a building company. He was an, a civil engineer, and、uh, he was the son of immigrants, and who, who both my grandparents were、uh, were entrepreneurs, and then they had him, and he was put through college and,、uh, and 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 became a VP of a building company, like I was saying before, and.、Um, And something really unfortunate happened. I mean, he was always a mentor of mine, and I loved watching him. And he was brilliant, and he t- taught me so much about being a good man,、mm-hmm. not just not just everything else. But、um, you know, I had just started going to college, and a large company came and bought the company that he was working for,、mm-hmm. and、uh, and it, that company was. Run by that my father was working for, he immediately laid off all the top level people in the company. So my father was unemployed, and it was、mm. heartbreaking because I didn't grow up understanding what that meant,、mm. and it was scary to to figure. I didn't know if we were going to be able to, we were to have to sell the house that my parents built, and it was it was very very scary. But、um, well, what happened very shortly is that he and a buddy of his. Uh, decided they were going to go into business together, and they bought a marina. And、mm. that on on part of that marina, there was a bunch of property. So because they were both in the building industry, they put up townhomes.、Mm. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So when I went home for a quick break,、uh, for school, I think it was a Thanksgiving break or whatever, they offered, he offered me a job, and I started working at the marina, and I started helping with the boats and everything over there. And it was it was impactful for me to watch how a business worked. But one of the things that I learned the most was that.、Um, My father and his partner knew nothing about business. They were、mm. two employees、mm. trying to be entrepreneurs,、mm. and I watched the decisions they were, they were making, and I watched how things were were struggling and 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 then growing and then struggling and growing, and it was it was、uh, very counterproductive in my brain how they were handling things. And、mm. I would jump in, and I would always get shot down because I was a kid. I was in my twenties. And then very shortly after that, less than two years after that, as they were building these townhomes. The building industry dropped out, and it just the floor just dropped out of it, and、um, and and so they lost everything, and the company went bankrupt.、Mm, so basically, your father was kind of like the reverse role model of what not to do in business. Were you thinking at that time? It's like I want to make sure if I do become a business person, I don't do that. I need to educate myself and inform myself of what it actually takes to make that entrepreneurial leap. I, I don't know that I was that far ahead. Okay. I, To take credit for that, I don't know、yes. that I was far ahead at the time, but I do remember when I went back to college, and again, I, I you know, this was after a break,、um, just you know, a summer break. It was after a summer break. I went back to college, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to stay there because now,、mm. you know, the family business was bankrupt. But I went there, and I and I, was, I remember this intimately, like it was yesterday. I was sitting inside of a class, and as I was in that class, I was completely bored, and I decided to I was going to sketch out. A business card because I decided I'm going to start a business so that I could make some money. I didn't know what the heck、mm. I could do, but I wanted to be able to contribute to my family. Yes. So I, I, what I did know, the time was good at work. So that I was going to start personal train. Have those somewhere in my office over here. I still have those exact flyers, and、uh, 
and, and that business, and I started it. As soon as I went back home for my next break, I started it. And uh, that company grew into um, uh, almost 150 personal trainers up and down New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Wow. And, uh, and my goal when I sat there and I was writing this, 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 this sketch out for what I wanted to you know, teach people was I said, hey, my goal for everything is going to be to help the greatest number of people possible, no matter what. And that mm. has followed me to every single company that I've built ever since then. But I built that as a personal trainer. I was only able to help a few people. And then as a personal training company, as it grew and grew and grew, I was able to help mm. hundreds of people. And I learned a very important lesson, which I'm sure you know, and pretty much every, this is like 101. And that's when you are uh, building a company with, with, independent contractors, it's very easy for you to lose your IP, your intellectual property, your, your clients and everything else mm. because they, they start pulling them away from you. So yes. I happened to be training one of my clients one night and he said, hey, listen, I have this building and I'm partners in this building and it has four big internal ice skating rinks and, a, and an arcade and there's an area for a gym. Did you mm. ever think about opening up your own gym? Mm. And I, I said, Shh, I would kill for that mm. opportunity. Yes. I mean, it, Oh my God. So I, so we ended up becoming partners in, in this, my very first health club. And, um, and it worked out very well for me over the next, uh, almost 15 years. I built that into a chain of health clubs. The first 10 years I was pretty much dead broke and consistently living on credit cards during that time because I didn't know anything about growing a business. I didn't know people. I didn't know processes. I didn't know systems. I didn't know culture. I didn't know how to build teams. I didn't know how to fund things. I didn't know any of this stuff that, that we really need to know. So I would grow, revenue would grow, and then I, my expenses would grow. And then I'd hire, you know, revenue would grow again. I'd hire smart people to help me, like consultants and, 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 and experts in the field, but they would cost me money and my expenses would grow. And it would just, just, just like this for first decade. So I literally lived on credit cards and I remember looking at one of my uh, tax statements at the end of the year and, and that my father helped me do. And I had $4,000 come in after, you know, that whole year. And uh, which was shocking to me mm. to know that, I mean, you, you can't even live on that, but it, you can, I guess, if you're living with your folks and you're not spending money on anything mm. for gas. Mm. Uh, but I, but what was great is that I was able to go from helping a few people as a personal trainer to helping hundreds of people in the training company to helping tens of thousands of people in the health club industry. And I became very good towards the end of growing companies. And that, that was just a, a, a big learning experience for me. Mm. And in 2004, when I sold that chain, even though I literally, you know, scraped, you know, funds together during the majority of that time, after all was said and done, I, I learned how to focus on the few things that actually grow companies. And those last few years were our best few years com combined, all the years combined, our best few years towards the end. And that company sold for more money than I had ever seen a chain of health club sell for at the time. Um, and I took the knowledge that I had there and I started writing books right before I sold that company. Mm, there's so there's so many like golden nuggets with what you share. I want to uh -huh. deep dive into different segment. It's very interesting because my story is I don't think it's different from yours. Uh, my father went bankrupt when I was 17 years old. Oh, uh, and living with my mom in a one bedroom apartment. That's how I turned into entrepreneur. Turned into entrepreneur because I wanted to make a living to support my family. Right. And my first business was mowing lawns for people in my neighborhood. And I print out all these flyers and I was running around the neighborhood and distributing flyers. So I could totally relate. But your story is interesting because I think for my, my fans, my audience listening to this, there are a few key lessons. So Chris, you started off basically as a self-employed, right? Yeah. As, as a service provider, which a lot of people started off that way. I started off that way as well, right? We, we're, we're trading our, our time for dollars, essentially. And then you, you figure, you know what? I can now be a, a business owner. And what I love to talk about is the first 10 years, dead broke. Because I think a lot of people, they have this fantasy about entrepreneurs, maybe because of social media. They see someone, <laughs> oh, right? Like so-and-so yeah, entrepreneur and they're driving a fancy car. They live in a nice house. They take those vacations. Now, you and I both know, like we, we were just before the interview, we're talking about being in in EO, being in YPO, seeing a lot of entrepreneurs, what's the reality? Like, what's the truth? Not, not what they see on social media, but what's the truth? 
the truth is a lot of hard work, a lot of persistence, mm. right? Persistence and consistency, probably the two biggest words that somebody has to staple into their brain. Um, studying, but studying what the few actions are that actually drive your growth mm. and then learning the box, the, 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 the things that you are super good at, your core competencies, and learning how to stay inside that box. My biggest challenge, I believe, in a lot of my businesses in the beginning mm. was not coming out of that box and telling everybody else exactly how to do their job. Right? Mm. Even within independent contractors and vendors and everybody else, me saying, no, 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 this is how you buy pay, paid media. And this is how you do that mm. <laughs> when I'm talking to experts. So staying inside that box, I think you know, the truth hurts because it keeps people confined. But mm. sometimes what you don't do is far more important than what you, you do sometimes. I love that. I love that. So what you're saying is focusing on that critical feels, right? The, the feel yeah. like success. I call that success factors, right? They're the two or three things in your business that actually moves the needles. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about doing that journey. So let's say, I want, before I go into the good years, I want to talk about what doesn't work. For the first 10 years, what didn't work? What are some of the, the lessons you've learned? I mean, some of the mistakes that you've made that you could share with, with my audience, like, don't do these things. Like no matter what, don't do these things. Don't do it yourself. Don't do it yourself. Um, yeah, I, I, I know many, many people who, who build businesses and then go tell everybody, well, I'm the only person in the business. Like, it, like it's me. But they're mm. surrounded by vendors and they're surrounded by smart people. Nobody, nobody who scales any, any respectable sized company has ever done it themselves. They have learned to become a leader of leaders. They've learned mm. to find people who are smart, associate with them, and then make them feel like rock stars, give them what they need in order to do what they're good at. Mm. Just get out of their way, you know? Mm. Manage mm. them, definitely, because you as the owner, you're the visionary. Yes. Another thing, you need to know where your ship is being steered, mm. have a very clear path, mm. have be able to concisely uh, 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 detail that path for everybody else that's working for you so that everybody mm. stays on the same path, uh, but be flexible and, and willing to listen to them so that they could show you the fastest way to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. I also, I find that uh, during even my own journey in the beginning, the, the motive, maybe you want to, at a time, I just want to make some money so I could support my family, right? Yeah. And as the, the organization grows, I found that my own personal motive would change because now you're, they say you're paying the bills, right? You're taking care of your family, but then, then you, you, what you focus on changes. Like you said, you focus now on, on impact. You focus on your team. You focus on you know, growing something bigger. You focus on your mission. It, it's, it's a very different thing, I think. As a, like what's been your experience seeing entrepreneurs go through this journey, even yourself, do you yeah. see in the beginning what you focus on and then later on what you focus on, on, on even now, fast forward today, what you focus on, like what drives you is different. Yeah. I, I believe that it is a balancing act, at least in my life has always been a balancing act. In the beginning, I think I made a big mistake because I was more, more focused on impact than I should have been mm. because I needed to focus on revenue mm. in mm. order to have the greatest impact. Yes. Now, yes that we have so much revenue from each one of the entities that we've built coming in, we could focus far more on impact because the revenue part is at least partially taken care of. Right? Mm, I mean, yes. There's always got to be the engine driving it. Yes. But uh, I think there's always got to be that balance. So when we go into mm. a, so if I go into a new, another company, um, then I need to, I need to throttle back my impact and marry it to great systems that are going to generate revenue, to bring in great people that are going to help generate revenue that are all focused on in the same way, honest, ethical, moral, legal, focused in the same way so that we could have a great impact with that revenue. Mm, love it. So let's say uh, this a company, they are doing this like a million dollars a year. What do you think, what are some of the things that you see that they could be done to take them, let's say to 10, 20, 30 and beyond? Um, Hey, I, I think I could speak for a year on that, but let me narrow it down to one thing. I think um, that uh, when companies stop focusing just on revenue, 
and they begin focusing on market share, not growing just revenue, but growing market share. Mm. Big change in the way that they think um, because uh, we could go into a company and scale it significantly faster by taking some market share than by constantly focus on promotion after promotion after promotion. I told you, uh, you know, earlier I was in the health club industry. One of my clubs, I remember I had to open up another club because my current club was just, the membership was growing so fast. We were getting visits from the fire marshal saying, you can't fit this many so, people. So it's a hit capacity issue. Got it. <laughs> we had yeah. to grow. So I found another building, but the other building was three miles away. Mm. And that one building was surrounded by five other health clubs within a mm. mile mm. Of, each of them. And all of them had been there for more than a decade. So I, we had a meeting with our team who well, I'm a big uh, believer in meetings and we got all hands on board, all minds on deck. And we brainstormed on this challenge. The challenge was all these people have been, all these clubs have been here for much longer than we have. There's only a certain number of people in a 10 mile radius of us, which is our target market. They all already know where to go for health clubs. Probably they've already joined the health club. How do mm. we make this work? And what we ended up coming up with was two promotions. The first promotion was, Hey, um, if you, are a member of a health club that, and you're not getting the results you like, or they're not, they don't, they don't, they're not treating you nicely. Mm. They're not greeting you by name. They don't have free towel service. They don't have free coffee, whatever it is. It's mm. not a clean club. Then bring your contract in and we will buy it from you. We will add it to anything that you buy from us. Any, any membership that you buy from us. Wow. Um, and the second promotion was, Hey, if you have ever been a member of a health club before and you're not a member anymore because you weren't getting the results that you mm. Wanted. They weren't treating you nice. They didn't have free towel nice. service. You know, the, all the things that we were really good at. Then bring your old contract and we'll give you 50% off of anything that you purchase from us. Because we want to win your, you know, your, your, your membership, your loyalty. And, uh, and within two years, three of those other health clubs went out of business. Because, mm. and by the way, this was not a competition. I was not trying to put anybody out of business, but we were going in there and we were saying, I know what we're good at. We are great at relationships. We are great at helping people. I would rather people come here because I know that my team, my systems, my everything mm. is designed specifically to get people results. Like I want to help people. Now I'm not here just to make money. I want to really have a big impact on this community. So we did that by gaining market share. Th that's an aha moment there. I think for my audience, for myself as well, market share versus just revenue because everybody talks about revenue. I've never heard of that before. What if Chris, someone is, they say competing in a not local market, but in a more like a global market or national kind of competition. How would you measure that? How would you define that? Oh, it's, it's the exact same way. I would find out who my top competitors are. Okay. I'd find out how much of the market share that they own. I'd find mm. out exactly why they own that market share. What are they so good at? Are they great at driving cold traffic? Are they great at affiliate traffic? Are they great mm. at whatever their case, whatever mm. their stuff is? And then my team, I'd get my entire team in a room. Like that's important to me. I need mm. bodies in a room. Um, and then we would stay there as long as we needed to, whiteboarding everything. I'm a big believer that the bigger the whiteboard, the bigger the thinking, the bigger the thinking, the bigger the results. So we have mm, more. I love room. it. I love it. And we do uh, whiteboard thinking. So we get everybody in the room and I, we would say, here's our target. When we have a unified target as a team, mm. I know that I've put enough smart people in that room. We will come up with a way to define the amount of market share they have, figure out how much of that market share we need to own in order to grow. And then we would just infiltrate that. So, so, so let's see if I understand you correctly. So the reason we focus on market share, not just revenue, I'm just trying to, to understand this, that when you focus on revenue, we may do things and implement strategies that are more short term, like a quick fix, right? We do a promotion or we do something that we get a bunch of customers, the revenue goes up. But when you think about market share, it's, it's less tactical, but more strategic that, okay, what are we trying to do long-term wise? So from a revenue point of view, it might feel like, well, we're doing these promotions. We buy back the contracts. That's not very smart. We're losing money, man. Or, or the second way where, Hey, you've been to a health club. You were disappointed. Come join us. We're going to give 50%. That's also from a profit perspective, maybe like that's, doesn't make sense. But from a market share perspective, it makes sense because by the time your competitions, three competitions are gone, then you're kind of being the, well, you're the lead dog in the, in, in the industry, right? Well, let's take that to the next level and say, um, we knew 
uh, that there was only a certain number of people on that 10 mile radius. Mm. And out of those people, there was only a certain number of them who um, wanted to lose weight or wanted mm. to get in shape. And out of all of them, we knew that there was a small percentage of those people who wanted to get in shape or lose weight in a health club. Mm. And then we knew exactly, so we never sent out postcards or anything. We knew exactly where to find them. Mm. They're already in health clubs. Mm. And I knew the five locations that they were going to show up in. Now I got myself in trouble. I'm going to be completely honest with you Mm. because I was very, you know, strategic at the time. And I said, Hey, I know where they are. And I also know that Monday night is the busiest night and be, and like between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m., the busiest times. So mm. I hired kids to go put flyers on their windshields inside mm. of the parking lots. Mm. Totally, totally bad. I get mm. it. I got a fine for that. Not a big deal. I slapped on my hand. And then we went from that and we paid the fine and got rid of the death threats that we had mm. because some of the <laughs> others like that. And then we utilized the money that we made from that and we went on to radio local radio and we mm. did the exact same thing with local radio and, mm. and then we went to local TV small TV ads and mm. we brought in more people from that the exact same things because we knew where people were our target mm. audience it was like a, it's like a surgeon cutting away that market share and bringing it over here it was far less costly for us when all said and done mm. no testing had to be done no AB split testing no nothing we went out there and we said here's our offer and just bring us your contract and we put the offer right in front of them and we were done it was and by the way as soon as they came in i didn't care if they didn't pay us anything for six months because these people bought drinks and they bought supplements and they mm. bought personal training mm. and they make money in other ways the back end the upsells and other ways which is where all the money is in yes. any business even yes. in the business the yes. back end is where the majority of the money is yes so i love that is there one more uh, golden nugget you could share with us from that one to ten million so market share not just revenue i love that um yeah so I will say, um, I, I think that uh, one of the most common mistakes that I made and also that I see a lot of other companies make is that uh, they get comfortable, right? They, they, they look at their competitors, they look at their industry and they say, okay, this is what industry standard is and they get comfortable right over there. You know, this is the amount of members that we should have. This is the amount of our lifetime value. This is the, the, the retention that we should have, whatever it is. And they get very comfortable there. I have a very good friend who says uncomfortable methods bring comfortable results and comfortable methods bring uncomfortable results. Mm, and, love, that. Um, love that. So our goal in every company is to get good at doing the uncomfortable tasks that grow the company and then rewarding the people who do the uncomfortable tasks to help us to grow. And what we found is that people will go to, they will climb the highest mountain, they'll swim the deepest sea to be recognized, right? So we recognize and celebrate people who help do the the hard stuff. And when we find somebody is not helping us, whether it's a vendor, an event contractor, an employee, Mm. whatever, if they're not, if they're not meeting or exceeding their goals, we celebrate them a little bit less. We don't say anything bad, celebrate them just a little bit less. Mm. And that just propels them so much faster forward. Uh, Chris, so given maybe a little bit of context, give us, uh, give us some examples of that uncomfortable task within a business. Like you're talking about like, like sales, are you, like, like, are you talking oh. about like marketing? Like give me some examples of that. Being held accountable for pretty much okay. anything. But listen, you said sales, the number one one. I, I, I definitely believe that it takes a very special person to be like the, the things that you teach about sales, mm. I think uh, uh, cut through all the BS and help people who actually feel like they could be sell- salesperson to, to be amazing salespeople. Mm, thank you. Um, but it's not ingrained for a lot of people. Mm, so yes, true. there are a lot of people who come in and they say, yes, I want to be a salesperson, but they mm. don't have that kind of training mm. um, and they don't have the persistence or the consistency to mm to feel it out and to actually push through and to, and to do the learning that's necessary in order to know what to say and, and how to communicate well with people. Mm. Um, and those are hard tasks for them. When somebody is not prepared, any task is a super hard task. Mm, I love that. So then, and being held accountable, being just even doing what you say you're going to do, right? And then being held accountable by the team and all of that is very, very true because I noticed when you're saying it, the B players don't like that. 
<laughs> yes. Right? The B players, it's it makes oh, very uncomfortable. Yeah, it makes them feel very uncomfortable, right? Right, right there. That's the issue. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah. What about in terms of we're talking about uh, talents and team? Being, what's been your experience? The best way to attract like good people? Because a lot of people, people, a lot of people talk about okay, you need to find good people. You need to have good people in your company. But what works in terms of attracting them and also retaining them? Yeah, it's culture. 100%. I mean, there's I, I have no, uh, no hesitation for saying it's culture. However, I'll take a t- step back and I'll say, I don't believe you can have a good culture without having great values. So any company that we have, I believe, uh, you know, we, we put together a core set of values and those values must come from me. If I'm the owner of the company or whoever the leader is in the company, they've got to come from, they've got to drip out of my heart. Like they got to be things that I want to eat, breathe, sleep, and, and dream about. Um, and then from there, I can be passionate about it because my passion will be infectious mm. and people will, will buy into that. And then we will, we will retain people who are completely bought into these values and we will lose people who are not. And that's totally mm. okay because the values that we have in every company that we build are very strategically designed so that anybody who sees them, whether they are a prospect a customer, an employee, a vendor, a partner, an investor, anybody, anybody who sees any one of our values will see value in it for them. Mm. So I think that's super important. Mm. And are, uh, for each company, are the values different or they have some similarity? So in my entities, there's a marriage between some of them, but mm. they're not identical for every company because uh, I have companies in multiple industries and some like a like in the legal industry, it's not going to be the same as the health industry or, yes. or the branding industry. Yes. Can you share with us maybe a couple examples of the, the values that are important and dear to your heart? I will. Um, I will. Here you go. I will. Nice. Be handed. Nice. Some values and I will read them and, I, and I'll read them to you, but I will also tell you, and by the way, I don't need to, it's not like I have a cheat sheet. This particular company I happen to have somebody in here who nice. just handed this to me. We give before we take, no matter what, number one value. And this was something that follows us through most every one of our companies. We give before we take. Anybody who comes to a website, let's just say, we're not going to ask them for a sale immediately. We're going to give them some. And if they love what they get, then, mm. then we will win them over, right? Mm. Customers, we always overgive. Like they buy something from us, but they always get an unexpected gift. Mm. Um, so it, 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 um, an employee, we're going to give a lot of education to before we ask them to be held accountable to certain numbers or certain metrics, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a give before we take. We value integrity over sales. We will never be, never in any of my companies, this is something that I'm passionate about, um, look to make a sale if it is not based on integrity. I, we value mm-hmm. integrity. I mm-hmm. want our brand to grow. I want people to know that they could come to us uh, um, for whatever that company is is responsible for. In our mm. consulting firm, I want people to know if they get in that, their company's gonna grow. In our, our legal firm, I want them to know that when they come into that firm, they're gonna be taken care of, right? So it, it's important. Um, it. We create long-term relationships. The third mm. one is we create long-term relationships with our customers, our vendors, and ourselves. Like mm. I don't, I want people to plant roots with us. And I will go to the ends of the earth to make sure that a good person on our team feels like they are part of that team and that they are valued. Um, and I, and I, and I believe that that's infectious. They, our team members also want other team members to feel that as well. True. So it's, it's fun. We consistently grow our reach. That's a mm. big difference. Yeah. To, that's market share too, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's a big difference between that and saying, Hey, wait, we always, we always grow our, our revenue, right? We grow our revenue every single mm. year or we grow our sales every single mm. year. Your customers don't want to hear that, but our goal is to reach out and touch and help the greatest number of people possible. So we grow, when we grow our reach, we're growing and helping more people, right? So and, and revenue is a byproduct of that anyway. With every single time, absolutely. We seek track records of success over one-time wins. I, mm. want, I want people on my team who have a track record of showing up on time, doing the daily tasks necessary to meet or exceed their goals. I want, when I'm looking for a vendor, I don't want to see one thing that you did. Show me a track record of things that you did that were mm. successful. I love that. That, that. that one gives me goosebumps. I love that. Uh, and then two more at this company. We work as a team. Everything that mm. we do, like we support each other. No matter what, yes. somebody's sick, 
I want them to go home and take care of themselves. If their dog is sick or their husband is sick mm. or their wife is sick, I want you to go home and take care of them. We are a team. You are a better member of my team when everything in your life is going, is feeling good. It's making True. you happy. True. And we judge ourselves by our daily actions. So I think that's, that's a very important also. It, and it's, it's, it's very interesting because as I'm listening to that, the seven core values, right? Well, well, in this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, great counting. Yes, I wasn't. Yeah. So, so seven core values, but I could see how just a health club experience, you, that just from the experience that you took some of the lessons and apply it to, to this for all these entities, even though they are two different businesses, but I, I could see how that, that, that impacted you to for yeah, these you core know, values. I, I believe that every business that I've ever been in is a people business. It's not yes. a health club. It's, you know, these yeah. are... Uh, people that are helping me to meet a goal, my, my team members. Mm -hmm. um, so they may be helping me in the health club industry. They were helping me to help people to be healthier. But, but in every single one of my companies, they're helping us to reach a goal, which is to spread our brand, to increase our reach, mm -hmm. uh, increase our reach, our revenue, and our relationships. Those are the three things that we try to expand in every company that we have. Mm, I love it. And I'm, I'm also curious, Chris, your perspective, because I think – there are different types of entrepreneurs, right? There are certain entrepreneurs where they, they are more focused on building one thing, that uh, they are the, the CEO of running this big company and they grow this massive company. And, and then there are, com there are entrepreneurs, they're more like us, that we have different businesses, that we, yeah. we can't just do one thing more, more than a serial entrepreneur. What do you think is the difference? And not that one is better than the other because both, both are fine, but what, what, what's your take on it? I, I think that there's a belief that you put all your eggs in one basket and you watch that basket and you grow the heck out of that thing. And I, one industry, I, one business for 30 yeah. years, right? Yeah. And, and I, have, I have a core group of seven friends in my life. I mean, I, mm. I like to believe I have a lot, a lot of friends, but there's seven people that are brothers to me. Which is already a lot for the most people. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I believe so. Yes, and they, uh, it is, uh, it's important to me. Every single one of them has chosen one industry and the amount of money we've made and all the other kind of good things. And I'm, I'm happy again, <laughs> but, um, the other side of the coin is, um, I don't believe that I probably not you either. I'm just going to guess. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that although, although we have a portfolio of entities, I don't believe that we are not putting our eggs in one basket. I think that, mm. like I was saying before, we know what our core focus is, what, our, mm -hmm. what, what we are really good at. Mm. We stay inside of that box. And then every industry we go into, we surround ourselves with people who we could add our value to mm. and explode a company. Mm, yes. So yes. I'd rather be able to do that in multiple industries because I – I'm, that's what juices and jazzes me. I like see, I, I am good at growing companies. I know what I'm not good at, mm. but I'm good at growing companies. It's very true. So when, when I, to the, to the, even when I talk to YPOers and other, other on CEOs, and sometimes they ask me the question, so Dan, you have like all these entities and different firms and companies, but I say, I tell them, I say, I don't build companies, I build ecosystem. Oh, when yes. I, sh I show them every single thing that I, every single entity that I have, they're actually all related within the ecosystem. Then yeah. they're like, oh, like that. Because they, they could see like, oh, let's say I have closest.com, which is on the sales part, but I also have copywriters.com. That's the writing part. It feels like they're two different things, but actually it's- They're synergistic. They're synergistic, right? Because more copy, better copy, more leads, yeah. more opportunities. It's or people who have, like they need- both each other. It's more like a vertical integration, right? What, what, and then plus it ties into my education company. That's a training comes into play. So it's not like they are separate. It's actually very much closely related. Yeah, right? it's very easy. Well, so I'm, I'm sorry. It's very easy for me to see, right? Because we're, think, we're building the mm. same kinds of things. But yes. from an outsider standpoint, um, I, I got called a jack of all trades mm. one time. And, it, mm. and I thought about it and I thought, gosh, that sucks. <laughs> I don't want to of all trades because I'm in multiple industries. Yeah. But, um, but hey, uh, they, they just didn't understand, I think. I, I don't think they quite understand. And most entrepreneurs, they, I, think, I think to me, that's actually a real entrepreneur versus just a president of a company. That's more like a manager, more executive. Yeah. But a true entrepreneur, I think we like to 
start things and create things and solve big problems and put a team together and then and make things happen. And that's like kind of like, I think it's in our DNA, right? For both of us. Uh, I do want to ask you a, a different question. Yeah. And that's more a, not a business question, but more a, a personal life question. Yeah. Now, how important do you think in terms of like for entrepreneurs, you know, the family that supports you, the sacrifice you have to make, not just the tactics, the strategies, all that is good, but personally, what's one big lesson that you have learned as an entrepreneur, what it takes, who do you need to be in order to be a successful entrepreneur? I think we're talking about as it relates to family, correct? Yes. I think you need to, you need to be a leader, not just in your organization, but in life in general, knowing yes. that the, the, the biggest, the biggest component of being a leader is to lead by example, to mm. be the man or the woman or the, yeah. the person that other that other people want to follow, other people want to emulate. Mm. And, um, and I am, I, I, I tell, you know, everybody, when we talk about family, I was born to be a dad. Like I, I, I love every aspect of it from the day my children were born to, to now and every moment in between. Um, and I, and I try to be a, a quality person so that, um, so that I have, so that I'm always there for my kids, yet mm. also leading by example and showing them daddy works. Mm. Like daddy the is- The work ethics. Yeah, I'm at the office. So during this time and this time, if you need me, you text me, I will stop. But yeah. don't text me just to, text me during these times, mm. right? Because daddy's working, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in meetings or whatever the case is. Uh, but I will, but I will break, I'll break a board meeting if I need to. I will break, and we have a no phone policy in our boardrooms, but meaning that every, everybody's has to be muted. However, uh, everybody also understands that if my kids call for whatever reason, I'm going to, I'm going to excuse myself and I'm going to be there for them. So mm. I, I don't know if that answered your question. Love it. Love it. I, I think, I think it does. And speaking of the team, do you find that, uh, there are certain sizes, uh, the, the, the approach that you have to take, uh, differ in terms of maybe when you have 30 people, 50 people, a hundred people, like when you're leading a bigger team. Yeah. Um, like, do so you use, big, like, you know, guess YPO, we talk about, you know, very well known, the scale up method, right? Rockefeller mm -hmm. habits, uh, EO, of course, you have the, the EOS, right? Actually, uh, Gino Wickman was just on my show a couple of weeks ago, right? I talked to Gino. Oh, yeah. uh, so what, what's been your experience in terms of system? What works for you? Um, for lead, so, so my leadership teams are usually kept uh, quite small. So we'll have four to eight people inside of our leadership team and, every, and then it. they will have teams underneath them. Okay. So like, uh, like I could talk about how, how I structure my day uh, later on. Yeah, that would be good. That'd be great. Awesome. Yeah. I would love to see right right now. Okay. So, and then by the way, it's a direct correlation to what we're talking about. So mm -hmm. um, that'll, I think that'll help to explain this. Um, my, my week is kind of like this Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I have, um, I have my, my mornings very strategically booked from nine to nine thirty. I do something I call numbers and notes. So uh, when I get into the office, Emily, who's been my assistant for over 17 years, she delivers to me um, the key metrics for each one of the companies that I'm intricately involved in, whether that's an owner, a partner, an investor, an advisor. I, I look at all the metrics. I take notes on everything. And, um, and that takes me about a half hour. And then from 9.30 to 12.30, I'm in meetings with each one of my leadership teams. And those leadership teams, like for, um, for this morning, if I look at my schedule, there was, there's five, I was in five meetings and I'm looking at another screen. I'm sorry. And there's, there's five meetings over there. Um, and they lasted anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 minutes. It, the, the amount of time really depends on how big the company is, or if we're going through a growth spurt or if we had a new competitor come in or something like that, but 10 to 30 minutes. And, um, uh, and then from 1230 to three o'clock after I'm done with those meetings, I'm an employee of each one of my companies, so I push things forward. I do what I'm good at, and I push things forward during that time. And then three o'clock on, I'm done, and I'm with my kids. The only difference, the only day that's different is Wednesdays, 
And that's the day that I work with the companies that I advise. And I'm starting from 6 a.m. I go to 9 o'clock back to back. And I and I one-on-one work with 20 brands. And that day juices and jazzes me so much that at the end of the day, I literally I'm, I'm, I literally have to do something to calm down and relax to stop my brain so I could actually sleep that night. That's fantastic. Okay. I love this. I, this, is, this is also very, very practical or useful for myself mm-hmm. as well. So let me just circle back. Oh, yeah. so, so now clock to 930, uh, the numbers in, in notes. So what are some of the key numbers to look at, first of all, that, that, well, so- that one pager? Yeah, so it, it depends on the company, right? So every so that's that is a great question. I get that question often, uh, and I and I hesitate to say, "Hey, here's the exact numbers that I look at for each one of the companies," mm-hmm. because I think it's a it screws up some audiences because they start to look at my numbers mm. and and they they forget. Maybe Chris, give us a, let's say a, a, a startup oh, versus absolutely. a established. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you some specific examples, but I just wanted to preface it by saying, yes, thank you. Please personalize this shit. <laughs> yes. Uh, so um, almost every company we look at revenue and net, right? Yeah. And revenue and net is broken down, not just in, Hey, what's revenue, but uh, you know, what's today's revenue, but I want to know revenue to date. I want to know last year this time as well. Right. So, I, so we could scale. I also want to know what our projections were to date to see if we're on mark or not on mark. Mm. Um, but in a, uh, uh, in a supplement industry, we may look at bo- number of bottles sold. In a um, in an internet is industry, we're going to look at list size. We're going to look at list revenue. We're going to look at um, lo- in any company, we'll look at lifetime value mm-hmm. um, of a customer. We will look at the the retention of our customers, right? Because in almost every single one of our companies, we have some kind of uh, residual built in, no matter mm. what, if it's an online or offline company, even if it's repeat customers, how, mm. you know, how often are they coming? Uh, so those are some examples. What, uh, what software do you use to pull all that data together? Or do you have someone who does that for you? No, you're going to laugh. The software is called Emily. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me install Emily in the company. It's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So I am, uh, Hey, I am, I'm a, paper and pen person, right? Got it. Yes. I, uh, I, I do a lot of things online, but my teams do a lot more online than I do with dashboards mm. and things like that. I like to have uh, my numbers delivered to me every single day on paper. Mm. I want to be able to see them. I mm. want to be able to scribble notes down so that when I have my meetings, I am right on target and I know exactly what I was thinking when I was looking at those numbers. So Emily delivers, it compiles all of that stuff. Got it. Pulls the right people. And here's what I found. Uh, all the softwares that we've ever tried for this, all the cut, and I believe one of the biggest wastes of money, and I apologize to anybody who's listening to this who builds dashboards for a living. I be, uh, in my experience, building custom dashboards has been the biggest waste of money in any one of our companies because there's so many small things that go wrong. They're very, very costly, and they yeah. very rarely give us exactly what we're looking for with no bumps and bruises. But Emily calling each leadership personal leadership team, getting all their numbers, compiling it exactly the way I want it and then delivering it to me. Mm. There's never any problem. I love it. I love it. Uh, and then from the 930 to, to, so to noon, basically then you have, I, I guess, it, like you said, could be 10 to 30 minutes just with leadership for, for different companies. That's kind of level 10, big picture uh, well, problems, we, right? Yeah. So we ask three questions. I go up in every single meeting, there's three questions and I don't have to always ask them because everybody knows mm. unless they're new to the team mm. what they are. But number one, I always want to know what you have, what have you accomplished so far? So today is Thursday. If uh, that today's question was, what have you accomplished so far this week? And then the second question is, what are you, what, what are you focused on today? And we have, we have an annual meeting uh, every single year, which breaks down and the, our, our t- big target. So if uh, we have a target of, uh, let's just say a hundred million dollars mm. in, in this one company, we will break down every single product or service that is mm. associated with that. Then we'll break down every single action, every single action that needs to take place. And, and by the way, that meeting has every single person in our team in mm. there. And if they're vendors from a different country and they can't fly in for that meeting, we have a wall behind me that's full of monitors so that everybody can be there. They're either Skyping in or, or Zooming in or they're on at our boardroom table. So every single task that has to be completed for us to meet or exceed our targets is on that whiteboard. And mm. then 
Everybody takes ownership of those tasks. We have a whole specific process on how to do this, which I'm more than happy to share offline please, if you want. But, but that, once that's done, then all those, everybody owns those tasks. So um, every day when I'm having my meetings and I'm going over that second question is, what is your, your most important use of, the, uh, use of your time today? What they're doing is they're telling me their top five list, the top five most important things that they need to do today mm. to keep their department moving in the right direction so the company mm. can be moving in the right direction. So, so it's almost like a, a morning huddle with your leadership team for each company. Kind very, of. Very, very much like that. Mm. Yeah, and the third question is always, hey, um, who has an obstacle, right? I, and we train people to look for obstacles because what I found in growing companies is that the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge with scaling a company fast enough is that one or two people will have an obstacle that if the entire team just talked about it for five or 10 minutes, it would be solved. Yeah. Blow yeah. it off their desk and, yeah. and they would not be a cork in the bottle, right? They mm. would not be the anchor holding us back. Mm. It would just be, you'll be fluid with everybody else. Mm, I love it. And I also, it's very, it's, uh, your schedule is also is pretty fascinating. So, so then you focus on then, like I said, after, after afternoon, uh, two, three o'clock, right? So yeah, from 1230 to, to three, three o'clock. So in some way, you, it's like a, you're high, like you're a high performance athlete. You're not thinking about, I'm going to work 9am to 9pm. I'm sure we've all been through that already, right? You know, in earlier time of our career, maybe the first 10 years, right, Chris? <laughs> it's, 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 it's 9, nine to 10 or yeah, 9 to 12. Yeah, yeah right? But, 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 but now it's more, okay, we've got the team. Now it's what's the highest and best use of our time and to, so that we could do the innovative and creative work, right? That only we could do that nobody else is a visionary. So I love that. And then Wednesday you talk about you. So you're advising from, from 6 a.m. in the morning, right? To Yeah, my first call is at 6 a.m. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're back to back. And those are companies that are, uh, you know, this, I'm very passionate about this. I, uh, uh, I like, I, I, I basically do four things. Mm. I, uh, I, I'm an owner of companies. I'm a partner or I'm an investor through our venture capital firm mm. or I'm an advisor. Mm. And, and I get a, the opportunity to grow honest, ethical, moral, legal companies that are helping a lot of people in all four of those. And I feel very blessed for that. The advisory program is called Club 28. Mm. And, uh, and it's 28 brands that I work with every single year. And I personally help them to grow. And we've got companies that are doing a few million dollars a year, but they are aggressive growing companies and they're doing wonderfully. Um, and we've got companies that are doing a few billion dollars a month in there mm. also. So it's just staggering the amount of knowledge that I get from working with these people and the amount that I'm able to then share mm. with them from, from what I am good at. Like I would never take a client on into the advisory firm unless I thought for sure I'm going to be able to bring some immense value and help them you'll move the needle quite substantially. And those are the ones you talk to basically on a, every Wednesday on a weekly basis then? Almost. So almost all of them. Not everybody is every mm. single week. Like we have mm. some larger brands that they fly their entire team down just once a month and we will, we will spend some time, a couple of hours together once a month instead of every single week. I love the four. Okay. So, so, so as an owner, of course, I think what you've just shared about the kind of the morning huddle, the, the morning, the, the, the yeah. numbers. So that's good. That's the, the owner role on the head, right? Uh, as an advisor, which is the Wednesday that you block out as an advisor, as a consultant to, to help companies grow the club 28, right? Yeah. That you that you feel that, that they have the potential to impact a lot of people to grow as well. Right. Yes. Uh, what about in terms of the, the partner? If it's a partner or as an investor, is there any different? Do you spend time with them or do you just invest and you don't spend time with them? Oh, I spend time with them. Yes. Yeah, sure. So for, you know, for the partnership, that's very easy. I spend a lot more time with my partners uh, because most of, the, most of my partnerships are with people who are very, very smart and very mm. good at what they do in, their, in that specific industry. But mm. as an investor inside of the venture capital firm, my, you know, when I sold the clubs, I, uh, I, I did two things which I think were very integral to my life. And I was so grateful thinking back that I made these decisions. Mm. The very first one was I, I started a board of directors and that board of directors has been with me. Yeah, that was back in 2004. We closed that deal. I actually started wow. that in 2003 and a year before that because I needed help getting through that deal. Um, and they're still with me and we meet every single month. Um, <clears throat> the second thing that I did was I did not have, like I, I was good at growing growing teams. I was good at growing systems. I was, I was good at making money 
but also very good at spending it. So I was not mm -hmm. good at what to do with money. And when I knew the amount of money that was going to be coming in, I knew I needed a place to put it. Mm -hmm. So the venture capital firm was very, very integral for me. Uh, and so, so I was able to invest in that. And, um, and my quote unquote job in that firm is um, I go into, after a company goes through all the rigmarole of getting funded by us, I go in and I look at their culture, their systems, their teams, their processes, and, and I restructure them for growth. Um, because mm. we want to be able to get our initial investment back in three to five years. So for example, if we invest $2 million into a company, I want to be able to, in three to five years, get them to be $4 million more profitable so that we can take our initial investment back and still leave them with enough buffer to continue to grow. And that's mm. real important to understand because uh, we don't make money by investing money and getting a little bit of interest back. We make money because that company is now a growing asset inside of our portfolio, Yeah. yeah. right? So uh, that's real important. And uh, so that's, that's my skill set. That's what I bring to the table. I can go in and I can restructure a company relatively easy to grow. And I use that not just in the venture capital firm, but for the companies like Club 28 basically started because we had so many prospectuses coming into the venture capital firm that we were shredding great, amazing companies, but they couldn't handle the growth, if we funded them, we would have been hurting them. Yeah, they'll, but, they'll go yeah. out of business faster. Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. So it's like throwing gas on a, on a already burning fire. It's not always mm. helpful to throw money at a, at a company. So, uh, so I had a meeting with the other partners and I said, hey, listen, I, I, I would like to contact some of these companies and say, listen, I think I could help you as an advisor, right? I think I could help you as an advisor to get to the point where one of two things will happen, either you'll actually be able to handle this money and you'll be a better candidate for us to invest in or you won't need the money. Like I really feel like I could help you with that. So mm. they were, they were fine with it. Thank goodness, because otherwise there would have been a, you know, a, mm. a problem with mm. uh, my fiduciary responsibility not to compete with this company. Mm. But uh, so I started that. I started making a couple of phone calls and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you in here. Mm. And that's how it started. I love that. Chris, do you mind if I ask you about, about the, in terms of like the, the compensation, like if you were someone to, you know, to advise someone, if you don't mind to share, like how do you, do you charge them a retainer? Do you charge a percentage on the advisory side? I'm also interested in the investment side, if you could share. Right. Yeah. I'm happy to share anything. Um, so as the advisory side, we have three different levels of okay. being in there, right? So hmm. 5,000, 10,000, $25,000 per month. Okay. And, uh, and the amount is really the amount of my time that is necessary for that. Okay. Um, so the uh, uh, smaller businesses would come in, they'd be paying $5,000 a month and they would get a, uh, a percentage of my time mm. every single week. You know, I'd, mm. I'd speak to them. I'd make sure that I was helping them pull the right levers, like figuring out what levers need to be pulled, figuring mm. out where the holes are. Mm. You know, as well as I do, after speaking to so many different businesses, mm. you could look at a company and just say, oh my God, you yeah. are so good at this, this, and this, but you're, you got a big hole in your bucket. Like, mm. let's just fix these few things. Yes. And by the way, I already have all the systems for that because we built systems in so many other companies. Let me all just give these, it. Yeah, just give it to you. Just yeah, plug I'll it right in. And yes. Or I'll help you personalize it with our time together. Or maybe you need a person. And I just, I got people that we pull in for the venture capital firm all the time. Like I could introduce you. Could just put, boom, right there. Yes. Yeah, and so it's, it, it becomes relatively easy where people... Mm can get in and scale very, very quickly inside of there. Yes. So that's the compensation for Got that. And so five, uh, so five, uh, uh, 15? Five, 10 and 10 25. And 25. Uh, Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And then on the investment side? So on the investment side, it depends on the amount of capital they need and the amount of uh, brains we bring to the table, mm. right? So mm. the great majority of companies, we will require 51% ownership when we initially go in. Okay. And then when we get our initial investment back, that could drop down to as little as 30% ownership in the company, depending mm. on how much of our time is going to be required to continue that growth curve. Mm. Can you maybe walk us through, not give any names, but like a, a, a deal that you've done, like walk us through what, what, what that is like. Companies coming in, they're doing, I don't know, do a million, a million a year and you invest X amount of dollars and then they grow and then what happens then? Uh, as in the venture capital, not in the yeah, venture capital. Yeah, venture capital. Okay. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, um, who, who would I give as an example? Okay. Yeah. So, um, a company comes in, they need, let's just say they need, and, and I'm going to, this is going to be quote unquote fake. No name. Yes. Yes. No name. Let's just say they need, um, 
$8 million. Yes. And uh, however, what they've got is a tremendous amount of talent. Mm. They have a tremendous amount of relationships mm. that they could leverage, but they cannot handle their inventory. They don't have the warehouse space and they don't have the right guidance mm. to be able to, uh, to uh, um, run their ads on the right platform. Mm. Right there, they this particular company was doing a lot of online advertising. When in reality, since they are a physical product, they really could, if they had the experience, go on television. But they didn't have the budget for it, or go on Got radio. It. One Got of the it. things that we do a lot of is when before, if we know somebody is really primed and can blow up, if we if if they're on television, what we would do is we would help them to optimize um, their online advertisements. Mm. And then once we figure out the best subject lines that I mean, not subject lines, I'm sorry, the best, uh, the best headline, headline, headline getting, yeah. they're getting people over to their website. Then we may use that, those headlines as subject lines and try to create compelling copy in emails and create some copy in there. That's going to get people not just to open up, but to click and buy something. And then we'll take that, what we learned from there and we'll try it in direct mail postcards or something like that, or mm. bring it directly to local radio and, mm. and get people to, and, and, and try to get people to convert on that, but utilizing all the data that we have built up from there and the knowledge that we have from past radio experiences, which means we don't buy 30, 60, 90s, we buy banter spots because banter spots will convert 40 plus percent better every single time uh, mm. than a 30, 60, 90 spot. And then we take that, and once we have that proven, which now we really, we're, you know, we're spending a couple of hundred dollars here, we're spending another few thousand dollars here, and then maybe, you know, five plus thousand dollars on rate, local radio spots to test things out. Now we have something that we could really go well with TV and not have as much risk as somebody who just says, I want to try TV. Because mm -hmm. right. also then comes from all the experience you had back the same thing with the health club when you were doing radio and you were doing TV, right? Well, that's, so that's yeah, the yeah. unique advantage that you have. So you were saying that, so let's say this company, would there be some cases where they say a company comes in, they need $8 million and you look at, look at the structure, look at the team like you guys don't need $8 million. You just need $2 million. <laughs> right? Like what, what do you need the $8 million for? You need actually 2 million, but we can do these things. And then we can use that money wisely and help right. you scale. Would that be the case sometimes? Well, so yeah, that's, that's very often the case. Most, most people don't understand exactly what they need. So everybody's got to prove why you need it and what you're going to use it for. Right. Mm. And it has to pass a lot of tests with us. Mm. And then we have to do a lot of background. So our, our legal team will do a lot of background and everything yeah, on the check. actual company. Our accounting mm. team will go through everything. Audit, yeah. Or we even see it. Because I don't, the investors should not even be looking at any of these prospectuses unless they've been vetted. Once they've been vetted and they're on our desks, then we assume all the T's have been crossed and I's have been dotted. Mm -hmm. And then if we do agree to invest anything more than uh, $2 million, let's just say, mm -hmm. um, almost always across the board, there are rules in place that say we will release the first $2 million now. And before we release this, the next round, you need to be able to do blank, blank, and blank. So we need to be able to grow team this big or systems and revenue, performance, mm -hmm. you know, everything, right? Mm. So that we could see that what we know is going to scale that company is actually moving in the right direction. Mm. And then from, then you hit, you set the milestone when you hit certain milestone, then you say, okay, now we can reduce that to, to 40%. Because then you know now the team, they are capable. Now you take a more like a passive not, not, not 100%, but like more passive role. They can grow it now. Right now, it's just like a more like a shareholder, 30%. But you still give advice them from time to time. Well, so, yeah. But again, it, it depends on the amount of our uh, mental bandwidth we're going to have to keep putting into mm, it from that point forward. Because mm, mm. there's a strong possibility they're going to need, they're going to need guidance. And most people, when, most people are very, um, uh, they're very defensive when mm. you say, I can help you. Let me just come in and help you. Yeah, most yeah, people yeah. just want to check. Yeah. So that's not our, that's, I mean, I gotta be honest with you. There are so many companies that want funding that it's okay that we are not right for everybody. Mm. Like we, you're, you're an active venture capital firm, not just give them money, but you give them the guidance, the systems, your, I call it intellectual capital. Yeah. Right? Well, I call it smart money. We have, yeah. we absolutely, we want to be there and we want to, uh, uh, we want to be able to share what we have and, mm. and, uh, so there are certain things that they have to take our advice on. Uh, 
because especially, you know, there, there are certain things that we have to take our advice on. And then there's certain things that we'll just say, hey, you guys are experts at this stuff. I will bring in an expert that I know to give mm -hmm. some guidance or I'll give some experience that I have. But in the end, you guys will make the decision on, on these things. It's mm -hmm. like a partnership agreement. If you ever mm -hmm. dr drafted a partnership agreement, uh, you'll see, hey, Dan, this, my name is Dan Locke and I own 50% of this company and here's my core competencies that if there's ever a decision to be made here mm -hmm. and both partners are butting heads and we can't come up with a decision, since these are in my core competencies, I have the final say. And mm -hmm. here's your bullet points also, Chris, mm -hmm. that if it falls in here, you have the final say, right? Because mm -hmm. this is what you spent your life doing and this is yes. what I spent my life doing. Yes. Do you, do you find that sometimes, Chris, that maybe that you're advising them and then later on when you advise them to a certain point, they might they might need funding or maybe they need funding yeah. and they go into, like kind of like that that's the ecosystem we're talking about right so so yes they may um once they get to a certain point in the advisory program yeah. if they want to go if they really want to scale mm. faster they may need funding mm. it's out of my hands at that point it has mm. to go to the venture capital firm it is not like chris can't fund them like that's uh, the agreement that we have yes. um but it's very rare in the back, the opposite way. Once they're in the VC firm, once we funded them, I have an active interest in that company. Yes. So I will advise the hell out of them. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, you make introduction, whatever it takes. Whatever. It's now you, your partner, right? Now you need me to help you name your first child? I'm there for Done. <laughs> That's awesome. Chris, it's been delightful. It's like I've been taking a lot of notes and I'm learning so, so much. So I really appreciate it. For my audience, if they want to find out more about you, they want to follow you on social media, what's the best way to do that? Well, I'll spell it, I guess, because Chris yes. Guerrero is probably not the easiest name to spell. But that makes your name unique. I also make sure I put a link in the, in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you so much. So chrisguerrero.com, that's where they could get access to me personally on the website. They could ask questions. They could download uh, you know, anything they want to over there. We have something called the built to grow review there, which mm. helps companies to figure out what as they're growing might be breaking and they need to fix in order to keep themselves scaling. It's a quick mm. quiz. We've got, you know, great, lots of great companies who take that every six months or so. It's like a business 360 review. Mm. <clears throat> That's free by the way. Mm. Uh, or Chris Guerrero, Chris Guerrero on uh, YouTube or Instagram or I don't know, pretty much everything else. Mm. And Chris, I'm just curious. Yeah. Are you working on a book soon? I, I can so, sense a book coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've written several books in the health field. I wrote one book in the business field. I, I, I would love to have a book. And by the way, I, was, I, uh, I cannot wait to read one of your books. There's one that I know, um, I, I just can't wait for it to arrive. It's called The mm. Art of War, right? You, you're, uh, yeah, you're the Art of War. I wrote it in, 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 my, in my late, late 20s. Like, oh, yeah. that was a long time ago. Yes. It was one of my favorite books a long time ago. Yes. Right? And, the, and when I saw, when Emily brought it to my attention, she goes, hey, Chris, you're going to want this. I'm like, I definitely order that for me. I definitely want that. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's very possibly, but not until, not until the, this next year. I, mm. I'm working on so many different things. I, I can understand. People, be, don't, people don't understand. Every time I finish a book, I say to myself, I'm not going to write another book. Forget yeah. this. <laughs> it is too yeah, hard. Because you, you do it. You do it, right? You take, it's part of you. You are literally stopping so many other things mm. to be able to put that down so the mass, you know, so that people in mass form can get a little bit of, uh, of mm. great knowledge. So it's a, it's exhausting sometimes, but yes, yes. Especially like we were, when we're building so many, so many companies and doing so many things, a book requires very dedicated time. It takes months. Like we, we think, we think it's going to take three months. No, it's going to take six months. It's going to take eight months. Right. It's That's like building how, a house, right? Oh my God. Yes. It's easy to build a company than write a book. Like to me, <laughs> seriously, it, it's true. It's very, very true. But thank you, Chris. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate your knowledge and you sharing your story with, with my audience. So thanks again. Thank you very much, Dan. And Chris, can you make sure that we send a copy of the Unlock It book to, to Chris as well? Chris, if you can have Emily give Chris the address, I would love to send you a copy of the book would, if you have not order, order it. Very grateful. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I learned so, so much. Uh, and Chris, make sure this gets to send to Susan, my COO. This is so good. We're going to take some looks on this. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Dan, may I ask you a question? Anything. Um, we're, I'm new in the social media field, right? So mm. just for the last, whatever, six or so months, we've been producing uh, videos and things like that. Mm. Um, 
Is it beneficial for you at all if we share any of this on our social platforms? If that's sure. a basic question. Yeah, of course. How do we, how, like, just, you want us to post it? I mean, we'll do whatever. Yeah, one, once, once we have the final, because that's why I do the, both the video, because the video I can slice and dice it and put uh, like short snippets on Instagram uh, and then also post it, of course, on the podcast and iTunes. Now, if you're curious how we do some of the social media stuff, I'm, I'm more oh than happy God. to share the process and, and all. That, that's all my, all my, like, much. all my friends, all my, all my, all my buddies, they all ask, how do you do the social media stuff? And it's, yeah. if you love processes, it'll, it'll blow you away. I, I, I would love that um, and be very humbled by it because, uh, you know, I find that I'm very good at certain things, you know, mm. when you put me into a boardroom and oh my God, like I, I love it. I shine. I do well with the social media stuff. We struggle. We're struggling to put a team together. We're, we're struggling with every piece of it. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, I'll also, Chris, can you make a note? Make sure to give uh, Chris the access for the, the YouTube, the Tube Horn, the, 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 the module three to five, I believe. That's within the uh, HTI. Just make sure you send it to, to Emily. So, so Chris, what I'm going to give you is um, actually a program that I developed on how we grew our YouTube from zero to a million subs, right? Within there, you have a lot of the techniques and, and how we look at data and all of that. So I'll, I'll just give that to you. So oh, you have you. access to that. No problem, of course. Yeah, go through that. You, you'll love it. Because everything is broken down into very precise steps what you can do. Because uh, think, I'll share something with you before we quickly go. Um, it took me from zero to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, 18 months. Oh my. Yeah, 18 great. months. From 1,000 to 10,000, it took me eight months. <laughs> okay, eight months. From 10,000 to 100,000, one year. Yeah. 100,000 to 1 million, one year. <laughs> so in two years, we 100x our yeah. subs, right? It's not by accident. People think it's accident. It's not, you know, when I break it down, you'll be like, holy. When I, had, when I sat down with my friend, um, Brian Scudamore from 100 Got Junk yep. in, in, from Yo, yep. my team, go in, show him all the social media stuff. Half day, Brian walks out and says, I, I, I need a break. I'm getting a headache here. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> team is working more on social media stuff and yeah. the, the stuff that we do, it just, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Um, that's, uh, I cannot wait. I can't wait to dig into it. Hey, if there's anything that I could do, I mean, I, we speak a lot of the same language. So 100%. I, I, you and I think so much love, alike. 100%. I love talking with you. If there's anything that I could ever do, or if you want to brainstorm on anything, I, I would love it. Mm, we'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll take you on one. Chris, can you make sure that um, Chris has my, my cell phone? That you. if you can just send me a quick text and we'll be connected. I will. That way you've got mine yeah. also. Perfect. You know, that's the best way to get hold of people anyway. You know that. <laughs> yes, awesome. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. We'll, we'll, we'll connect on the cell phone. Thank you so much. I'll thank you. you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's it for today's episode of the Dan Lok Show. Head over to the danlockshow.com and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. You are guaranteed to expand your thinking, your network, and your network. So be sure to subscribe to the show today. Dan also has a gift for you. Go to www.danlockshow.com because there are bonuses when you subscribe.